Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Canada retreats. A new Conservative government will review Canada's overall foreign aid funding with a target of reducing the overall envelope by approximately 25%. Should Canada dramatically cut back its foreign aid as Andrew Scheer is proposing? Is foreign aid really being wasted or should we actually be spending more? Three former political leaders, Bob Ray, Peter McKay and Gilles Decep join us to debate that. And then, gun control. You can choose a conservative government that will do the hard work of going after criminals, that will impose new and tougher sentences for gang crime, that will stop guns at the border, and that will take real actions to keep our neighborhoods safe. The Conservatives announced their own plan to tackle gun violence, but with no bans on assault weapons, who has the best plan to keep you safe? Candidates are here to weigh in on that. And then, debate showdown. Will this week's critical debates transform the campaign? And what does each leader need to do to get that knockout punch? The War Room is here with the Insider's Playbook. And then, dual jets and dual citizenship. The scrum with pollster Nick Nanos are here to weigh in on the latest controversies to hit the campaign trail. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. So Andrew Scheer is promising to cut 25% from Canada's foreign aid budget. He's arguing that Canada supports rich countries who don't need the money and that he can save over $2.2 billion. Now, Canada does spend $6 billion a year on foreign aid, but that's still far less than the international obligation that Canada has signed on to. Countries like Sweden and the UK spend a lot more. And the Trudeau government spends less of our GDP on aid than the Harper government. Still... Does Mr. Scheer have a good idea, or is it a retreat toward isolationism? Let's find out. Joining me now is Bob Ray, the former leader of the Liberal Party, Peter McKay, the co-founder of the Modern Conservative Party, and Gilles Duceppe, the former leader of the Bloc Québécois. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. Uh, Peter McKay, let me start with you. Is it a good thing for Canada to cut 25% of its foreign aid? I think any incoming government is going to look at foreign aid, uh, whatever the percentage might be. But certainly the argument that countries like China, Russia, Iran, North Korea are receiving money in foreign aid, I think, surprised a lot of Canadians. So whether the number is 25 percent or not, uh, a realignment is not a bad idea. I also believe that he has said uh, specifically 700 million will be redirected to those countries most in need. And that would include some of those traditional recipients, Mali, Tanzania, Afghanistan, for programs for kids in war zones, conflict zones. So I think, again, everybody would be on board with that. The numbers that were highest in terms of the support for cutting back on foreign aid or reallocating for other purposes were in Quebec, interestingly enough. And so it's a conversation that should happen. It's a conversation, I think, that has happened every time a new government had come to office. And I don't think Canadians want hmm. to see their money going to support terrorism. It's always easy for socialists in particular to say we're willing to spend more of other people's money. Yeah, I, I don't know what money's going to support terrorism, to be frank. I've never seen that. Bob Ray, your reaction to that? Well, yeah, I mean, Peter's, that's a ridiculous comment. No one's, no one's advocating putting money towards terrorism. I think the... Unrun Hamas think the issue is, is what is, look, I'm referring I mean, to, Bob. Well, nobody's, nobody's, nobody's directing money at Hamas. That's nonsense. Um, the not the nonsense. issue is, is, no, it is, it is nonsense. But if I can just no, finish, no. Uh, I didn't interrupt, I didn't interrupt, I didn't inter interrupt you. 
Um, I, I think it's, it's too bad for me that we can't get a broader consensus in the country on what we should be doing so that we can plan for more than three or four years at a time on where our foreign assistance is going to be going and how consistent to make it. I, I think that on foreign assistance, and I would even say on defense, I think we need to have a longer-term perspective on what it's going to take. Um, whoever forms a government needs to understand that a 25% cut in foreign assistance um, is going to have a dramatic impact on where Canada is in the world and where aid is going to be going. It involves a lot of cooperation with a lot of other countries in order to be effective. You've got to be able to plan things out. As things now stand, Canada is already spending less in relationship to our GDP than we should be. Uh, it's something that needs to be addressed, in my opinion. Of course, um, if you tell Canadians, look, we're giving all this money to Russia and China, not true. We're doing all this other stuff, not true. Let's stop doing that. Let's do this. People will say, oh, yeah, there's no constituency out there that's voting for foreign assistance. This is about our international obligations and where we need to be as a country. And I don't think we need to have phony pitches to isolationism and and no, let's let's take let's let's bring the money home kind of arguments when the fact is we need as a country to be more resolute in our commitments overseas, whether it's whether it's in 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 what we're doing with the U.N. militarily, what we're doing in terms of defense with NATO, what we're doing in terms of foreign assistance. It all goes together and we need to think of it that way. Uh, Gilles Doucette, what, what do you make of this this pitch that I guess I the think, aid is I being wasted? Was... What, what's your view? I think that was a bad proposal by, by Scheer. The target, the international target, is supposed to be 0.7% uh, of the GDP. Under Mulroney, it was a 0.43. Christian reduced that to 0.23. Under Harper, it was at 0.31, and under Trudeau, is at 0.28. So we're, we're far away from what Mulroney uh, did and far away from the target. And when we take the example of Iran, the money in Iran is given to an organization in charge of checking if they apply or not the nuclear agreement they signed in Paris. So it's, I think it's important to check that. And uh, we have to see one by one, of course, but not to reduce, but trying to do better than we're doing now. Uh, Mr. Mr. McCain, let me just uh, respond to that. Money that went to Russia was to support the LGBTQ community who's under fire there. In Iran, it was to support the nuclear uh, inspectors. Like, is that exactly. not part of Canada's role? I I'm intrigued. What do you think? I think so. I well, it depends so. on the program. Why? It depends very much on the program. Absolutely, it does. And those countries and those particular programs in particular, there's nothing wrong with reviewing them. There's other programs, of course, uh, in other countries that we can take a look at. But I certainly agree that we need to continue to move towards uh, a more ethical and, and more transparent uh, review of foreign aid. And I also believe, quite frankly, that we should be doing the same with, with our NATO commitments. But when it comes to the decision of where the money goes, we need to ensure that it's getting to the actual recipient. And I think that that's what Andrew Scheer is focusing in on. He's also talked about the, the necessity to have uh, Canadian foreign aid uh, go through these programs in a way that is going to optimize the outcome. So whether it's education, health, 
Afghanistan is a good uh, example of that, where we built schools, where we eradicated polio, where we actually made a significant difference in the lives of children. So promoting democracy, promoting health, education, absolutely we should be doing more of that. All right, last word, although he is saying there's going to be a 25% cut. Mr. Ray. Well, I was just going to say, you, you, you can't do that and talk about a 25% cut. I think Peter knows as well as anybody that, um, sure, any government's going to look at what's going. You want to make sure it's going to the right recipients. Absolutely correct. I mean, uh, Andrew, when he did his press conference, said we don't want to be sending money to Italy. We gave money to earthquake vic- victims in Italy. Is that not, are these not acts of solidarity that we're going to perform? You cannot do this with a 25% cut. That would take our... The, the, the per capita number that we have in relationship to GDP would take us down to below 0.2%, be the lowest among any OECD country. It's, it's ludicrous for us to be looking at it that way. Let's, let's take, the, take some of the partisanship out of foreign assistance. It's very important to do that. All right, uh, gents, i got to leave it there. There's lots on this, and we'll pick up more of it uh, in the program. Bob Ray, Gilles Deceppe, and Peter McKay, always a pleasure to have you three gentlemen on the program. Uh, Coming up, the Liberals and the Conservatives are promising to crack down on guns to keep you safe. But whose plan has the most, well, ammunition? Candidates are up next to debate that. Stay right here with Question Period. Hi, I'm Michael Stittle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And we're here to tell you about Trendline, a new podcast from CTV News. We check in on the public mood of Canadians and give you insight, analysis, something to laugh about three times a week. Nick, what can listeners expect? Well, we get up early, like really early. It is dark outside. We grab coffee, either externally applied or taken for internal (laughs) consumption. And what's been your favorite part so far? Well, the best part is basically two people talking about what's going on, who's up, who's down, and what does it mean. Subscribe to Trendline from CTV News. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're putting out a new show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday up until Election Day. The police know these gang members are violent. The Crown Attorneys know they are violent. But the bail system releases them anyway. Under a conservative government, we will stop the revolving door once and for all. So gun control is one of the most divisive issues of this campaign, and both the Liberals and the Conservatives have now unveiled new measures to combat gun and gang crime. This week, as you just saw, Andrew Scheer pitched his party's plan for tackling gang violence, a direct appeal to voters in places like the greater Toronto area, which has dealt with the brunt of gang-related shootings. The Conservatives say they'll end what they call automatic bail for gang members awaiting trial. Is that true? They say they'll create a special task force to intercept illegal guns at the border and strengthen background checks for gun licenses. They'll also bring back mandatory minimums for illegal gun possession. But the Conservatives are not recommending banning handguns. The Liberals, on the other hand, want to give that power to municipalities and they want to ban what they say are assault weapons. So which proposal is more effective? Is not banning handguns outright a campaign misfire on both sides. Let's bring in candidates to find out. Bill Blair is a Liberal candidate for Ontario and Aaron O'Toole is a Conservative candidate also in Ontario. Uh, They're both in Toronto. We did invite the NDP to participate in this panel. The party headquarters said no one would be made available. All right, let me start with you, Mr. O'Toole. Um, The Conservatives now have their plan. How would it do a better job at at actually stopping gun violence than the Liberal plan? 
Well, I think having a, cr a crime plan has to focus on crime. That's the real omission in the Liberal plan, is they don't actually go after crime, illegal weapons and gangs. So, Evan, we would criminalize the actual uh, gangs themselves. And if someone is on parole and then goes and associates again with a known criminal organization, a gang, they will uh, lose their parole. I think we have to recognize that these gangs, street gangs, are very sophisticated criminal organizations. I know Bill Blair, as a former chief, knows that. That's why we get frustrated immensely that any time they talk about a crime in the cities, their solution is to go after hunters and sports shooters and avoid the actual real issues. So this is an issue about making that membership itself uh, a criminal offense, losing your parole if you go back to associated with the criminal organizations, and then mandatory minimum sentences, which the Liberals have always dodged and avoided. But if you use a firearm in the commission right. of a crime, there should be a mandatory sentence attached to it. Uh, we'll get to that. You know, the Supreme Court and courts have, have had real problems with mandatory minimums. But I want to bring Bill Blair. Mr. Mr. O'Toole makes a point. The argument is that gun crime is caused by gangs who are using illegal guns, sir. That it's not the legal gun owners that do it. It's criminals who are getting illegal guns. How does your plan actually deal? with that, Bill Blair? Well, unlike Aaron and Mr. Shear, I've actually done gun, gun and gang investigations, and frankly, I've done hundreds of them. I actually know what the law says, and I know how it's used to deal with these, these gangsters, and I know what, what is effective. I've gone and spoken to the, to the police in every community across this country and with the mayors and, and with, with civic leaders and asked them truly what they need. And, and, you know, when Mr. O'Toole says, Mr. Shear announces they're going to eliminate automatic bail, it's a complete fiction. There's no such thing. 65% of the people in, in, in custody in Ontario are awaiting trial. They didn't get bail. And, and so if the police are able to collect the evidence that the person represents a danger to society and the Crown's able to present that, detentions order are, are, are given. And if they're not, there's a, we have a system of, of bail review and also the police have a responsibility to monitor these individuals when they're out. We already also have legislation, which I have used multiple times, to, it's called criminal organization legislation within our criminal code, and we've used that very effectively to go after some of these gangs. But, you know, you can't identify a gang member simply because the neighborhood they live in or the color of their skin. It actually requires evidence. And for people who've conducted these investigations, they know what's required. We, we do need to make sure that the police have the resources that they need to do their job. The, the Conservatives in, in their last government cut hundreds of millions of dollars from both the RCMP and CBSA you know, diminishing their capacity to All do right. this job. They've, they've also suggested we should have a, a, a border task force. It's called an integrated border enforcement team. They've been in place since 2001. It's been widely recognized in both the U.S. and in Canada as best practice. Those, those okay, resources, so hang on. when let they're me able to do Mr. their job, do an excellent job. Okay, let, let me bring Mr. Ojo. Can you respond to that? The Liberals have said, look, there's no such thing as automatic bail for gang members. That's fear-mongering. They say it's not factual. They've already got, as Mr. Blair says, uh, checking for guns at the border. What do you make of that, that what you're saying is either inflammatory or redundant? Well, Evan, it's, it's just like Justin Trudeau. When Bill Blair says something now, I'm wondering which B Bill Blair we're dealing with. Uh, when he was chief, he was a huge advocate of carding. He uh, committed one of the largest mass arrests in Canadian history with respect to G20. He was against the legalization of marijuana as chief. All of these things he's flip-flopped on as part of Justin Trudeau's inner circle. And if he wants to talk about the border task force, he was given a title as a minister with no department. And in fact, after the illegal crossings of, of the border and the 50,000 people that do not follow the rules with respect to our system, 
he ended up, after several years of dithering, implementing policies we had advocated for several years ago. So with, with Bill Blair, with Justin Trudeau, Evan, it's, they say one thing and do another. And what I don't like about their approach on, on crime is it always tends to be going after law-abiding people who have to qualify as law-abiding to get the, the PAL certificate for their, for their hunting firearm, that sort of right. thing. It avoids the real issues behind crime. So I'd like to see which Mr. Blair we're going to get today. Uh, Mr. Blair, you, you guys say that you want to ban handguns. The conservatives don't. But you're, it's a federal jurisdiction. I'm just trying to figure this out. If it's federal jurisdiction and you're actually committed to this, why would you say, oh, municipalities, you can have the authority to do it? Because don't you think you're going to get a patchwork? Say Toronto bans handguns, Evan, but Evan, Mississauga me, doesn't. That. Wouldn't a criminal just go no. to Mississauga to get the gun and not Toronto? I, I just answer, Evan, if I may explain, go ahead. if I may explain, the answer is simply no. What we have said is that every handgun in this country, every restricted weapon, should be stored in the safe or a vault. We've seen countless tragic incidents that have arisen as a result of, they for are. example, the Danforth shooting. That was a gun stolen out of a gun store. If it had been in a vault, it might not have ended up on the streets of Toronto. Every handgun should be stored in, in a safe But they already are. Vault. But, but, but also, talk about the also, Why are municipalities and, getting and this And they authority? not already are. They're not, it's not being done. So we're going to bring in regulations to require handgun owners to, to, to store their weapons far more securely. But we've also gone into cities, and they have said quite reasonably, we have ranges, which is the only legal place a handgun can be fired. And why can't, instead of storing that gun at home within our jurisdiction, why shouldn't that gun be, be stored, for example, in a vault at the range so that that's the only legal place it can be used? Then you don't have the risk of having a gun in the home. You don't have a risk of transport. The people that will go to, the, to their firearms, use them in the only legal place to use them, and store it there, that's a safer thing in our city. Right. And I agree with that. But I have gone to smaller towns. I went to Whitehorse and Red Deer and I went to Kenora. And their, their ranges and their circumstances are different. And so we've said, uh, right across the country, in every place, every handgun must be stored in a safer vault to keep it secure against theft, a major source of guns uh, on our street. For every solution, you've got to actually go into communities, listen to the people who are tasked with keeping people safe. And with okay. respect to, 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 to Aaron's earlier comments, I have never wavered in my absolute commitment to do everything possible. I've dedicated my okay, life. Guys. To keeping people safe in my city and now my country, and we are going to continue to right. have the courage. I got to leave it there. To strengthen our gun laws, not weaken them, as right. the conservatives. I got I to leave it there. Uh, Mr. Blair, hang in there. I got to leave it there. Uh, we got lots coming up on the show. Aaron O'Toole and Bill Blair, this is a critical issue. Obviously, we'll be part of the debates tomorrow night, and that is what is coming up. Showdown tomorrow night as all the leaders will face off in the first English language debate. Likely guns will be an issue. What are the opportunities? What are the weak spots? Three War Room insiders give us a breakdown of what you need to know for tomorrow night. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, we've now entered the most important days in the campaign. It is debate week. Tomorrow, the only English language debate will take place in the Ottawa Gatineau. And on Thursday, the second French language debate is scheduled to take place there, too. Now, there's always a focus on those elusive debate knockout punches, you know, the kind where Brian Mulroney told John Turner, you had an option, sir, and that kind of ended that campaign. But those are more rare than you might think. So what's at stake for the leaders tomorrow? What do they have to do? And what did we learn from last week's French language debate that might carry over? To find out, we're now joined by our campaign war room panel. Rob Silver is a longtime liberal strategist. He's also married to Justin Trudeau's chief of staff, Katie Telford. Jenny Byrne is the former campaign uh, director 
for Stephen Harper. They're both with me here in Ottawa. And Nathan Cullen is a former NDP MP and leadership candidate. He joins us from Vancouver. Great to have all of you on board. And, and Rob, let me just start with you, um, Mr. Trudeau, uh, the only guy that's actually done this before. What does he have to accomplish in the English language debate tomorrow night? Yeah, I mean, Elizabeth May has been there before. Right. But Elizabeth, that's right. It's a big difference being there in opposition, though, than in government. You know, whether it's Jean Chrétien, uh, Stephen Harper, or now Prime Minister Trudeau, if you survive the debate relatively unscathed uh, as prime minister, you've had a good night. And I think that's the first goal, is, is survive. You're going to be attacked. I think there's going to be more focused attack on him in the English debate than there may have been in the TVA debate. Uh, and and that's the primary goal. Uh, well, the Hippocratic oath, do no harm, and I yeah. guess do no harm to your own campaign. What does Andrew Shear have to do? If he, what, like if you're in the war room with him, Jenny, yeah. what do you say, okay, this is what you need to do, Mr. Well, Shear. I think this is going to be a more challenging debate for, uh, for Andrew in, in some ways. He needs to position himself as the... Uh, opponent as the uh, the person that can can beat Justin Trudeau uh, in this election, and he's going to have to do that with having two more voices on on stage, including Maxim Bernier, who uh, many in the party feel is going to ha have a laser focus towards Andrew. So he is going to have to be careful not to kind of get in the weeds or get in the mud with the other uh, leadership candidates and position himself side by side with Justin Trudeau. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see the Bernier. Do. I wonder if it helps or hurts. You never know. He's certainly going to be a target there. What yeah. about Mr. Singh, Nathan Cullen? What does uh, Jagmeet Singh have to do? Well, I think actually continue on from where he was in the French debate, where it, according to a lot of pundits and people in Quebec, he did very well, exceeded expectations. And I think that's been one of Jagmeet's advantages, actually, just throughout the campaign, is that expectations were lower. And he's been, I think, exceeding them uh, a pretty regular clip. There's going to be, that's six people, that's a, and six egos on one, big egos on one stage. I think distinguishing himself to those progressive voters that were, are now questioning Trudeau and whether he's the progressive champion that he promised to be four years ago. And, and Rob's right, I mean, Trudeau now as the government, I think there's going to be a lot more focus on him. And I think maybe less than there was on Andrew Scheer in the French debate because of just the context of what's going on in Quebec, I think Mr. Trudeau will probably be the center of attention for most of the other candidates on that stage. Yeah, he wasn't, it was more Mr. Scheer in the first French language debate, but let's talk about weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You've heard the attack ads, Rob, on, on Justin Trudeau. Yeah, but not as advertised. <laughs> yeah. I, broken promises, progressives are disappointed, bought a pipeline, blackface, there's a lot on the agenda. Mm -hmm. What's his big weakness facing in us that he will be attacked on all those uh, issues? Yeah, I think he will be attacked. I think the key for him when those attacks come is, are to defend his record, to defend the government's records, to point out to voters who are watching, who are accessible voters for the Liberals, the things that they have accomplished and the things he wants but to what accomplish. You, what's his weakness? If you were in the room and say, okay, you got to avoid this, what's the big danger for Trudeau? Um, I, think, I think it's the attack on the left, on the right, it's it's the the typical squeeze that, that Jenny and her conservative friends like to play, which is you will have uh, two candidates in Ms. May and, and Mr. Singh attacking from the left, and then you will have uh, two on the right this time, which is a little bit uh, different. So I think it's it's that squeeze, and he succeeds if he again defends that record and points out what they have accomplished in, in office for the last four years and what they have to hope to accomplish for four more. Jenny, it was interesting to see Scheer on the defensive on the mm -hmm. first uh, French language debate, and he was asked repeatedly by Mr. Trudeau and Mr. Singh about those social conservative issues like abortion, yep. same-sex marriage. His answers were not great 
afterwards he said, okay, I'm pro-life, I'm going to talk about it. What's his biggest weakness? Are those the same weaknesses again? I think that th those are the issues you'll probably see the other parties uh, the other parties bring up. Uh, it's seemingly, or they feel it's, it's, it's worked for them. I think that Andrew will probably be more comfortable, English being, being his, his, first, his first language. Uh, but I think he needs to be ready for, uh, for, those, for those answers because if we've seen anything from this campaign is, is not answering certain questions doesn't make it go away. So I think that what uh, he needs to do is make sure that he's very clear uh, in his answers uh, so he can pivot and move on in terms of right. going back to making him uh, be the, uh, the uh, alternative to Justin Trudeau. You've got to get maybe better at answering those quickly, as you say, and move on. All right, biggest weakness for, for Jagmeet Singh as, as he enters his second federal campaign debate. Well, I don't, it's, it's hard, it's, it's a bit of a weakness perhaps, but it's the, it's the contrast. And I mean, obviously for a whole bunch of different reasons, Jagmeet Singh automatically starts off as a contrast candidate to the other uh, major party leaders. I think his ability to reference back to people's stories, I think Jagmeet does well when he's there, when he's able to talk about, for instance, he's in Grassy Narrows and talk about the reality of what indigenous communities are facing, as opposed to getting into the, the higher minded, higher level rhetoric uh, if he stays within the stories and what the impact is of a farmer care plan, national care, and all those things that New Democrats want to talk to progressive voters, at, at, and some combination of being properly aggressive with Trudeau, but not overly aggressive. But what aggressive. about, just, just Nathan, let me just push back on Elizabeth May. She's going to be there. If uh, Jenny's talked about yep. how Bernier is going to be nipping on the, the heels of Mr. Shear on the right, does, does Elizabeth May nip at the heels on the left, and is that a problem for Jagmeet Singh? Uh, Elizabeth's got her own set of, of things to worry about in terms of some of her candidates not necessarily being, you know, pro-choice or questions about... They've gotten more scrutiny, I think it's fair to say, Evan, than they've ever had before because they've been doing better than right. they ever have before, and they're not doing great under the scrutiny. I think if Jagmeet is spending a lot of time talking about Elizabeth May and the Greens, progressive voters are going to be confused about that. I think he's got to talk about where he wants to go, and I think that's looking at Shear in the West and Trudeau through Ontario and Quebec. All right. Uh, Rob Silver, Jenny Byrne, and Nathan Cobb, we're going to have them back and find out whether these debates actually made a difference, because that's going to be critical. Uh, we'll be watching that debate tomorrow night very closely. Coming up next, the Liberals uh, appeal a key ruling on Indigenous child welfare. Have they lost the support of Indigenous Canadians in this campaign or not? We'll talk about that and the issue of race in this election next. Pam Palmiter joins us as our special guest on The Scrum. Stay right here with Question Period. <laughs> The uh, decision by the Human Rights Tribunal came down mere days before the actual, uh, the actual writ got dropped, uh, and the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal expects us to bring in a plan of action by December. That is simply not practical, not possible, given the electoral context we are in. Okay, from the reaction from many of Canada's Indigenous leaders, it's been fury after the Liberal government announced that it's appealing a ruling which orders the government to give money to First Nations children who have been discriminated against by the child welfare system. As you saw, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau argue the government simply needs more time to consult with Indigenous communities to get the compensation right. It could be, I've heard according to Liberal sources, up to $8 billion. But the actual application asked for the claim for monetary compensation to be dismissed entirely. 
what's the truth? And will indigenous voters abandon the liberals in this election? Let's bring in the scrum to talk about that and the idea of race in this election. Tana McCharles is a senior reporter for the Toronto Star. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. Good to have her back in Ottawa. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator with his patented wave. And our special guest this round is the chair of indigenous governance at Ryerson University and a regular guest with us, Pam Palmetter. Great to see everybody on a real busy day. Pam, uh, let me just start with you. Just a lot of Canadians may not have focused as much on this, but what did you make of the, quote, appeal by the Liberal government on this issue? What did you make of that? Well, it is so offside. It is literally the exact opposite of there is no relationship more important to me than the one with Indigenous peoples and our relationship is going to be one based on respect for First Nation rights. That's literally the opposite. And his, you know, response about we need more time is also doesn't, you know, ring any truth because we are only at this scenario where the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal had to make this decision because Canada is in its seventh non-compliance order with the original order of the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal and the law in general. So it had lots of time. In fact, it had four years to deal with this. So to use the election as an excuse is really a cop-out and it ends up in the deaths of First Nations children in care. And that's the problem. This is right. a life and death issue. It's not a political there, there's one. There's an element of reconciliation here. And what it is, is it's the government trying to reconcile itself with its budget uh, and what it has added up to in spending in this campaign so far. Uh, if they had agreed right off the bat, which they should have done, they would have had to add billions to their budget estimates for this year, and that would have looked very bad. In any case, they could have asked for an extension. Prime Minister says it's about the timetable. They could have said, ask the court for an extension. Instead, they asked for a judicial review, which will take ages. So, and, and here's the thing that I don't quite understand about all this. If, in fact, it's a question of time, what, what it, has a, it has a ring of, we can't discuss these complex issues in an election campaign. It's the kind of ridiculous. The old Kim Campbell line. Um, Scheer has also said, uh, we would like this to have been reviewed, that decision initially. So the problem, though, for me is that even in explaining why they're making this bizarre decision uh, to send it to appeal, they're not explaining what they believe the grounds for the appeal are. <coughs> I'd like to actually know why the government doesn't want to do do what the tribunal has ordered them to do, and as Pam has said, has laid it out. They've in the past talked about arcane points of law that they need to clarify and whatever, but you can't ever get anyone, especially Trudeau, on the record to talk about that. Joyce. But you know, I do think that the, the I, I, I agree with Tonda. The arguments are a little bit bogus. Um, there was time before the writ was dropped. There was plenty of time. They've been in power for quite a few years. But does this really mean, and that's the question I have, that this is a government that has said this is an important relationship, has this thrown this off completely? Does this mean that everything this government did, and, and, and probably that's a question to Pam because I don't know the answer to that, but does this mean that everything the government did, and they did make some efforts here, we can't all, always obliterate what has been because of this move, which is a bad move, we all agree. But is, does this obliterate well, Pam, all the other... This is all about money, isn't it? Pam, is that really what it comes down to? That's what the government's afraid of? 
It's it's always about money, but more than that, it's about devaluing the lives of First Nations kids. Because I guarantee you, if this was uh, about you know some students in Quebec in a French school and they were dying because of you know discriminatory underfunding, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But over and over and over again, you know whether it's the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal, the Supreme Court of Canada, or the United Nations Human Rights Treaty body saying Canada stop racially discriminating. That's the only basis why you're doing this. And it makes no financial sense. That's the thing. It actually costs them more money to keep kids in care, to keep kids in prison, you know, to, for all of the social services than had they just provided the preventative money up front and the education funds up front. They would have saved money. So it doesn't make sense on a life-saving ground or on an economic there, ground. There's an issue here overall, and, you, and you, Pam, you're articulating it as well, which is this notion mm -hmm. that if this was uh, not First Nations kids, Indigenous kids, the government yes. would have done something different. And that brings this whole issue of race, which has been uh, not even on the sideline, a, a, maybe a central feature of this campaign. Uh, you had the blackface scandal uh, with Justin Trudeau. You had the Bloc Quebecois. For many people, it wasn't even a dog whistle. It was more like an open whistle. Vote for people who you resemble. Jagmeet Singh confronted that racist voter who said, cut off your turban. Pam's talking about First Nations and Indigenous kids' second class. Has race become a, an issue in this campaign and how is it playing out politically Craig well I think that it has become an issue in this campaign and I think once again we're seeing that Canadians are going to have to come to grips with a racist history we love to point at the Americans slavery uh, black America and the lives that have been ruined there and we have to say to ourselves to what extent have we had a problem which we have never recognized I'm just glad it is an issue in this campaign. It absolutely is an issue. And I think Craig's right. I think what we need to also spend a little bit more time doing is not, it's, it's framed the, the campaign from the outset around the, the different candidates' views that yeah. were, you know, some of them forced to resign, some didn't, uh, some apologized. But I think it does force us to look at what is the government's record on promoting diversity, promoting multiculturalism, and what are the proposals from the other parties? And you actually don't hear that. And how many Canadians know that we did have slavery? We uh, had that. Actually, you know Choice. what, the, the, the interesting thing is, it was inevitable, the conversation was inevitable. Jagmeet Singh is the first ever leader of a major political party from cultural community that is running. So it, the, just his mere presence was going to bring this conversation inevitably, right? We were in Quebec and we asked people, you know, we did right. streeters, what we call streeters, we went around, we were with Andrew Shear and asked uh, this woman, do you know who Andrew Shear is uh, with his bus and a big picture of him right in the back and she asked us if he was the gentleman with the turban. So, you know, it is, it was going to be a conversation. I was expecting it. And, um, and so it should be. Sh exactly. Look at our major cities. Some of our major cities are already, if they're not already half visible minority in this country, they're on their way to being so in the next decade. So it's a conversation the country has to have. And Pam, you know, in all other countries, you yeah. know, you see the U.S. and U.K., there's not only those issues, there's issues of nationalism, the rise of, of, of mm -hmm. certain groups mm -hmm. in the far right. Or, so how are you mm -hmm. seeing this play out in a different way? Well, I mean, you've got essentially what's happened in the United States with the rise of white supremacy. In, and when I say rise, it was always there. It was, you know, the foundation of colonization. But it's emboldened people to speak 
about it in ways that they hadn't before, but it should have been the number one campaign issue regardless of who was running because we just had a national inquiry into murder to missing Indigenous women and girls that said Canada's guilty of historic and ongoing genocide, race-based genocide against Native people. That should be the number one topic for all Canadians for on all of these platforms, and it's not. We're focusing on, you know, individual acts of racism, but race-based genocide in Canada is what's killing First Nation kids in care, First Nations in prison, murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. And we're not talking about just how deeply ingrained racism as, as law, as practice, as policy, as governing is in this society. Um, we too right. often talk about it as systemic. It's a law, but it's actually a whole bunch of people acting in racist ways and governing in racist ways that hurt us. Yeah, it's a conversation. I wonder if this plays out uh, in the debates and, and how this manifests itself, but i got to leave it there on this conversation. It's an important one. Pam Palmer, always great to have you on the program. The rest of the scrum is going to stay here. Coming up after the controversy over padding his resume, he was an insurance broker when he wasn't. Andrew Shear is dealing with a new issue. He's a dual U.S. citizen. Should he have revealed that years ago as Canada was negotiating the free trade deal with Donald Trump? We'll take that up and what to expect in tomorrow's big debate next. Nick Nanos joins us on the Scrum. Stay right here with Question Period. As we did in 2015, uh, we have uh, a cargo plane uh, on top of our, trans our, uh, our regular plane because it allows us to do more events in more parts of the country and meet more Canadians. No one's ever asked me before about it. Uh, like millions of Canadians, I have a, uh, one of my parents was born in another country. Uh, and uh, I met with representatives from the embassy uh, in August, announced that uh, I was renouncing my citizenship and have submitted the, the paperwork to start that process. There you go. From dual jets to dual citizenship. Both Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer faced questions about hypocrisy after it was revealed that the environmentally conscious liberals are using two campaign planes. They're buying carbon offsets. And then the conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, as you just saw, admitted, yeah, I'm also an American citizen. I'm a dual citizen, an issue he has criticized others for in the past. Should he have revealed that a long time ago when he was criticizing the liberals during the intense NAFTA negotiations with the U.S.? And what's at stake in tomorrow's big English language debate? Let's bring back the scrum to find out. Tana McCharles and Joyce Naper are both back. So is Craig Oliver. And our special guest for this round is the president and CEO of Nanos Research, Nick Nanos. Nick, let's start with Andrew Shearer. Had a tough week. He admitted out loud after getting hammered in the French language debate that, yes, indeed, I'm pro-life slash anti-abortion. Uh, there was a controversy where he didn't tell the truth about being a licensed insurance broker. Now he said, look, I'm a dual citizen. Has this had an impact? Absolutely. Andrew Shearer has taken a dead heat on the preferred prime minister tracking seven, eight days ago into an eight point gap where he now trails Justin Trudeau by eight percentage points. So bad news for Andrew Scheer. It's been a distraction for him. And right now, Trudeau has the upper hand as preferred prime minister. Tonda, let's talk about that. I, look, there's a million dual citizens. I, you know, Tom Mulcair was a French mm -hmm. citizen. Uh, Stefan Young, Michel Jean. What's the issue here for Andrew Scheer about this? Is it that he has it or he didn't talk about it? I think it, that he didn't talk about it as a politician. And when he was canvassing his constituents in 2005 about how they felt about Governor General Mikhail Jean's dual citizenship, it's because the Conservatives were tearing strips off her. Uh, it would have been a good time for him to step up and say, by the way, I also hold dual citizenship. Can you all please clarify 
for me what your concerns are. But no, and just like he didn't during the NAFTA talks, he didn't reveal it. So I don't think the problem is that he has dual citizenship or even dual loyalties. I think the problem is lack of transparency for a political leadership. Own yourself, own it, assume-toi. Right. Uh, Craig, you want to weigh in on that, well, dual citizen? He, well, he's waited so long to try to get this revocation of his citizenship uh, off that it looks as if he will be the first Canadian prime minister, if he won the election, uh, to also be uh, an American citizen. So he can go and he can look Trump in the eye and say, hey, uh, I'm an American conservative, too. Oh. Maybe it'll help his negotiations. <laughs> and somebody should tell the American army that they better have some uniforms with very long trouser legs on them for this very tall guy in case they have to draft him if there's a war because he is on the selection committee and had to sign up for the draft. Well, I, I mean, I, you talk about that because there was the intense NAFTA negotiation and, you know, I think Canadians would have had the right to know if one of the leaders is an American on that, Joyce, but uh, you got him facing that. Then you've got Justin Trudeau. He has the blackface, the Justin Two Jets issue with this. Uh, has Sheer lost some of the moral authority to judge uh, Justin Trudeau is, quote, not as advertised? Well, I think what's interesting is, the, the, you know, the moral high ground is not up for grabs anymore. So they are now both on the same level. So if he points his finger to Trudeau, Trudeau can point his finger back at him, and it becomes an even more sophomoric conversation than it has. And in the meantime, sorry, but nobody's talking about the economy. Nobody is telling us how all these promises and all this spending where the money will come from and we will go more into debt and we're going into a recession. Like, there are major important issues that they are not talking about as they point their fingers at each other. Right. And, you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, Jason Kenney was campaigning for Andrew Scheer saying, here's a man that won't embarrass you. Well, actually... No, the, the ironic, he's not. The ironic twist in this campaign is that the conservatives were effective at portraying Justin Trudeau yes. as not as advertised. And Guess they're what? They're now. on the receiving end. Because yeah. this week, for some Canadians, Andrew Scheer was not as advertised. And this campaign has degenerated into bickering. It could have yeah, a material impact I, on voter turnout. Say. And saying, right. nobody sure. asked me, seriously? Nobody asked you, excuse me, are you a dual American-Canadian right. citizen? Criminal? Are you, are you this? Yeah, are should you we that? ask him if he has a criminal what, record? What should we ask him that we what, don't know? But what I see all of this coming to, we've been talking for weeks now about how this election campaign has yet to find uh, a, 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 an overarching theme or a reason yes. for its existence, really. But I think what we're finding is all of these things are channeling down into a question of leadership or lack of leadership. And I, and I find that I find that, that translates not only into the personal uh, aspects of the campaign and the candidacies and the leadership questions around individuals, but it translates into the, the big themes, the big, the big policy issues that Joyce was explaining. Can I, can Economy, I mean, environment, all of that. Leadership, lack of leadership. Time and again last week, Scheer failed to meet the moment. Yes. Uh, starting, really, uh, with that French debate in which he got ambushed by Trudeau right off the top uh, on abortion, should have expected it. Why he didn't, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And then the other three leaders piled on, and he ended looking shell-shocked when, when it was all over. But every other day of the week, he had a seven lost days away from the kind of campaigning he should have been well, doing. He was unprepared they, for that. He was definitely and most clearly unprepared for that debate, right? How can you not think that 
you're in Quebec and you're not going to be asked about your position on a woman's right to choose. That's where abortion laws go and die in Quebec. If we're, if we're so say that Sheer did not seize the moment. I think also the question is who has, who did. Now they the all get two more shots at seizing a moment this week with the upcoming debates. But I think that um, perhaps some of the, the some of the tricks that they've been trying up to now won't work. But it's not just Sheer. It's Trudeau also. If we were to sum up this campaign, Canadians would say a pox on you both yes. because of what's been happening. So the fault lies with both Trudeau and Sheer. Okay, let's pivot to the debate. Tomorrow's the first English language debate, then Thursday's the second French language debate. I'll start with you, Craig. What's at stake? This is the only English language debate. It will be a critical turning point. What are you watching for? Well, I think that Sheer has to show some momentum coming out of that debate or he's got a really serious issue to win this election. Uh, Trudeau needs to have a moment with Canadians and use the podium to, I think, indicate, I know that Canadians do have doubts about my character, about my truthfulness, and I want to promise them whatever, that I'll be a, a much better guy and behave myself better if they re-elect me. He's got to say that. Uh, I think the NDP have to say, we're the only ones who really have a plan if anybody can afford it. And the Greens can say, I think more justifiably, we do have a plan and we're ready to carry it out. Uh, Nick, uh, people often look for the knockout punch. You don't often win debates. You can certainly lose debates. What are you looking for on the stage where there'll be the surging block, maxing Bernier's yep. first shot, and Elizabeth May's back? I think if there are any knockout punches that's actually going to come from Maxime Bernier, Elizabeth May, or Jagmeet Singh, those are, or the block leader, it's those leaders. It's not going to be Justin it's Trudeau and Andrew Scheer because they've already thrown all their punches. And so watch out for those other party leaders to try to break through the clutter and talk about policy issues. Tonda. Well, I was just, you know, your numbers, Nick, show them that, that the Liberals and the Conservatives are really still very, very close in this campaign overall. And while Trudeau seems to be rising a little bit in terms of people preferring him as Prime Minister, uh, I still think that you know, the others have nothing to lose. That's why they can take the dig, yeah. the sharpest digs, yeah. the, the best shots at the other ones. The other ones still have to look prime ministerial. Uh, Joyce, what are you looking for tomorrow night? Well, I'm looking for, I'm watching, uh, you know, Andrew Scheer. He was very negative at the French debate. He was yeah. very negative after as well, you know, for the media, what we call the media availability. And you know what? It left, it left a kind of... Sh feeling of like you have to you have to tone that down because what are you offering that is so much better i think that that will be the big challenge for him is to say okay not so much he he can't criticize anymore he can't point his finger out because of the horrible week he had last week so now he has to show something positive why would i vote for you why is your party better and please somebody talk about the economy please somebody tell us how you're going to pay for all this stuff because i'm starting to think that it's a lot of a lot of promises and not nothing concrete sheer needs to project confidence uh and that's what he has to do yeah. most of all to look self-assured and comfortable on that podium. And he's got to have a, an answer. He will be attacked on the LGBTQ, same-sex marriage, abortion stuff. He's got to have a more straight answer. Last thing, uh, for English Canadians, Nick, they don't watch the block. Some people are saying 20, 25 or more seats. That could be the most consequential story here outside of uh, the, the yeah. two or three big parties. What are you looking for for the block? You know, what we're looking for, the block doing a direct attack on both sheer 
and Justin Trudeau, they have a chance to win upwards of 20 seats the way we crunch the numbers. They could be the third party in the House of Commons ahead of the well, new Democrats. They hold the balance of power. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's what's so worrisome. Uh, it should be a remarkable dynamic tomorrow night. Uh, I know what we're going to do, and I hope I know what you're going to do. Check out that debate. Thanks to Tonda Joyce, Craig, and Nick. It's going to be an absolutely wild week coming up on the campaign. We have a close watch. CTV News has a close watch on it. And we will be back here with all the analysis in seven short, well, short for some, days. Take good care. You're watching CTV News Channel.